Well, good evening, Mercy Hill Youth. It is good to be here this evening, and it, uh, man, it is a joy to be able to get to preach to you. I appreciate Pastor Dan allowing me to be able to speak tonight. I've been praying for you this week, and uh, I truly believe that the Lord has laid something on my heart to share with you. Whenever he called and he said, hey, or messaged me, said, hey, do you want to, to preach for me? Immediately, something just popped right in my head. So if you have your Bibles this evening, we're going to be in Mark 14. We're going to be looking at a passage that's probably familiar to you. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 1 through 11. Now, if you don't have Bibles, if you have your Bible app, uh, you can uh, click there, and then you can change your translation to the NIV translation. That's the translation we're going to look at this evening. It just seems to flow a little bit better. So if we could, I want you to please stand with me as we read God's Word together. Mark 14, beginning in verse 1, Mark says, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he, that is Jesus, was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Let's pray. Father in heaven, here we are yet again telling a story that your son Jesus had promised would be shared for many years to come. Father, it's my prayer this evening that you would allow all the distractions to be put to the side, Father, and that we would have our eyes fixed upon the word, that we have our eyes fixed upon Christ, and that we would seek to apply the message that I truly believe, Father, that you have for these young people this evening. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So in 2001, NBC introduced a show that was called Fear Factor. How many of you are familiar with Fear Factor? We've got a few of you in here. Of course, I know 2001, some of you weren't even born, which is insane to me. But Fear Factor was a show that really pushed people to the limits as to what they would or would not do for a large amount of money. What, think about this for a second. What would you be willing to do for $50,000? $50,000, what was that? Eat bugs. Eat, okay, okay, eat some bugs. Is that what you said? Yeah. So that's basically the question that Fear Factor sought to ask. And there was three different stunts or three different tests that they would do in order for the person to hopefully win this money. The first one was a test of physicality. It was a test of strength. So they would require people to jump from one skyscraper to the next. Or they would require people to climb up a rope ladder that was connected to a helicopter in flight over the ocean. How many of you would at least attempt to do that for 50,000 bucks? 
right? I mean, you got harnesses on, you're going to be fine. So yeah, let's, let's try it out. That wasn't too bad of a test at the beginning, but the second test is where things get real. Because the second test wasn't a test of physicality. The second test was a test of the mind. And so what they would do is, is basically people's worst fears would become a reality. They would force some people to sit in a glass case filled with cockroaches and worms and all kinds of creepy crawly insects. How many of you would do that for 50,000 bucks? We've got some brave souls in here. How about this? They would require some of the people to eat live spiders. Spiders is where I draw the line. No, they're not poisonous, but they were live spiders. But this one's even better. Think about this. They bring all of the people, all of the contestants into a barn. And as they walk into the barn, they sit down at a table and a platter is placed before them. And they notice that all of these sheep, live sheep are around them doing their thing, right? They're bad away. And when they open the platter, there are sheep eyes that they have to eat. And you can't just like swallow it. Like you have to chew it and let all the juices run down the back of your throat. How many of you would be willing to do that for 50,000 bucks? A few, without throwing up. Yeah. It's crazy what people are willing to do for a large amount of money. But take it a little bit further. What would you be willing to do for someone that you love? What would you be willing to do if, if someone that you love found themselves in harm's way? I can tell you this. My wife is five foot one, and she's a, a pretty small woman. But I can assure you that if it came to the safety of our children, she would fight the rock himself. Like she would fight King Kong if it had to do with protecting her little ones. Let's go even further. What would you be willing to do for Christ? I mean, you think of the songs that we've been singing this evening, 10,000 reasons for my heart to sing. What would you be willing to forsake? What would you be, or where would you be willing to go? This evening, as we come to our text, we're going to find ourselves meeting a woman that demonstrates extravagant love because she gives over to Jesus something that is almost invaluable. Something that is far greater than what anybody in that room would have done on this occasion. We're going to look at a sacrificial act. And based on this text, it is my heart that we would see. Really, what the main point that I believe Mark is trying to convey is for followers of Christ, we should be willing to do anything we should be willing to follow him anywhere. We should be willing to take a stand, regardless of what our friends or our family thinks, because of who Christ is and what he's done. So this evening, I want us to break the, the text up into three parts. And the first one is found in verses one and two. I want you to notice with me first, as we look at these two verses, I want you to notice a dark prelude. Look what it says. It says, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. Now, a couple of things here you need to understand. To begin with, the Passover is kind of like Fourth of July that we as Americans celebrate. But what did the people celebrate in regards to Passover? Anybody? What is it? This is, okay, you got one? What's, what is it? Um, 
another nation, Egypt, right? So this is the time where the people of Israel celebrate the fact that God had delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians way back in the book of Exodus. You remember this, God says to Moses, you tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And if you don't let them go, I'm gonna unleash all kinds of plagues. The 10th plague being the worst because with the 10th plague, what would happen is I am going, this is God speaking, I am going to kill the firstborn child and animal from everything in the land. The only way that you'll be spared is if you sacrifice a lamb and you take that blood and you put it over the doorpost so when the angel of death passes over, he will pass by the houses that have this blood on the doorpost, but he will wreak havoc on everything else that doesn't have the blood. And that's exactly what happens. The Bible tells us that there's weeping and wailing throughout the entire nation of Egypt because everyone lost someone or some sort of animal. Pharaoh, of course, is bothered by this because he loses his son. And so he tells the people, go, you've got to get out. And God says, because he is telling you to get out quickly, you cannot put yeast in your bread. The bread can't be puffy and warm and nice. You just need to bake it super quick. It's going to be thin, but this will be your nutrition to get you out to the desert, to get out of the grip of Egypt. So every single year they would celebrate the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread, thinking about what God had done for their ancestors. But notice here that the chief priests and the teachers of the law are not discussing what kind of fireworks they're going to shoot off for the Passover. Instead, what are they discussing? We have to kill Jesus. We have to kill him. Now here's one of the advantages of being a 21st century Christian. We don't just have one gospel. We have how many? Four, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so some of the other gospels begin to connect the dots and begin to explain things to us. So for instance, Matthew 26, speaking of the same story, we discover where these guys are. They're not just anywhere talking about how they're going to to kill Jesus. They're in a palace. And the palace is owned by the high priest Caiaphas. And Caiaphas knows Jesus very well. See, in John chapter 11, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And as Lazarus was raised from the dead and Jesus declares, I'm the resurrection and the life, people believe that he is the long-awaited Messiah. People begin to worship him. People begin to listen to him rather than the chief priest. And so Caiaphas sees this and he says, we've got to kill him. Two reasons. One, we have to kill him because we're going to lose all of our influence. We're going to lose all of our credibility No one is going to care who we are. We could lose everything because this Jesus is messing everything up. But two, the second reason why they've got to kill him is because as soon as Rome catches wind, that people are recognizing that the long-awaited Messiah has come, who according to Old Testament scripture was supposed to overthrow their enemies, Rome's gonna come in and burn the place to the ground. They're gonna kill everyone, They're gonna strip us of all of our comforts, so we gotta get rid of this guy. Caiaphas actually says in John 11, it's better for one man to die than a whole bunch of people. But we can't do it during this time because too many people like him. So this could backfire on us. Listen, isn't that how the world functions? It's all about seizing the moment. It's all about the popularity. It's all about the fame. It's all about the influence. 
It's all about being somebody. And if someone threatens you when it comes to your popularity and fame, do whatever it takes to shut them down. Why? Because we're called to live in the here and now. Right? What does Drake say? You only live once. That's the motto of the YOLO, right? There is nothing else. So you do everything you can to enjoy life now. And for these leaders, Jesus was the ultimate threat. It's a dark prelude, but what I want you to notice next with verses three through nine is we see now a sacrificial act of love. Beginning in verse three, it says, while Jesus was in Bethany. Now, let me just go ahead and say, for some of you Bible scholars that are in here, if you're reading from John 12, you're gonna find the same story. But John 12 actually says that it happens six days before the Passover. Yet Mark 14 says in verse one that it happens how many days? Two. So is there inconsistency here? Is there a contradiction here? The answer is no. Here's the reason why. Because Mark is trying to show what leads up to the moment where these people are not only conspiring, but where someone actually sells them out. So if you're watching a movie and you see what's happening in the present realm, it then does a flashback to a few days before so you can begin to go, oh, this is the reason why this happens. So there's no inconsistency here. Mark is strategic as to how he's doing it. But notice what it says. It says, Jesus is in Bethany, and he's reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. Now, we know nothing else of this guy. If he's considered a leper, then at one point he had to have had leprosy, right? Which is a bad thing. No one would have been around him. So, of course, he doesn't have leprosy now. So many scholars and commentators say, okay, this guy had to have been healed by Jesus, Because everyone's there. John 12 says it's not just Simon who's there, but Lazarus is there, the guy who was raised from the dead. His sisters, Martha and Mary, are there. All the disciples are there. And so they're throwing this huge party for Jesus. Why? Because he healed Simon, because he raised Lazarus from the dead, because he's the long-awaited Messiah. And it says while he's there, all of a sudden, as he's reclining at this table, eating his meal, a woman walks in. John 12 tells us this woman is Mary, not the mother of Jesus, but the sister of Lazarus. And Mary walks in and notice what it says. She's walking in holding this alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Verse five says it's not just kind of expensive, it's worth a year's worth of wages. So so to put it in in our kind of understanding, think about this. You're talking probably about, at at our day and age, 40,000 bucks, 50,000 bucks. She walks in with a star. Clearly this has been handed down to her, probably from her mother. And as she walks over to Jesus with this pure nard, which that nard, that word there means it's probably exported from India, it's super rare. She walks in, and rather than just slowly open the bottle and put a little bit on his wrist and put a little bit on his neck, what does she do? She pours it over his head. Like, not as an insult of someone throwing a drink at someone, but she takes this. You hear the glass break, and all of a sudden, as John's gospel says, the aroma of the perfume fills the entire room. 
Imagine this, drip after drip, and I'm seeing dollar signs hitting the floor. $40,000 has just been poured over this man's head. Why is it that Mary seeks to do this? First reason, Mary seeks to demonstrate that no earthly possession can compare to being in the presence of the Savior. She is demonstrating that being in the presence of Christ is far greater than any sort of earthly possession, even a $40,000 heirloom that had been handed down to her probably from generation to generation, that all of this pales in comparison to knowing Christ. How many of us would do the same thing? How many of us are willing to give up our most prized possession because we have a relationship with Christ. I mean, this is a beautiful thing that she does. And let me just go ahead and say, you know, sometimes us preachers, we look super holy, but we struggle with things just like everyone else. Because let me just go ahead and say, I don't always have this mindset. Throughout my marriage, we live paycheck to paycheck, small houses, basic cars, and us old people get on this thing called Facebook. And so I remember being on Facebook and I remember watching and seeing my friends going on trips and buying big houses and buying sweet looking cars and doing all of this stuff. Their kids are in like the, the nicest fashion trend of the day, which for us was polo Ralph Lauren, like that was baller status. And I began to think, man, if I could just have all of these things then I'd reach the pinnacle, right? Then I would be completely happy. And I, I began to envy these people. Don't we do the same thing? Listen, you watch Instagram, you watch TikTok or Snapchat, whatever it is, and you're going, man, if I could just be like this person, if I could just have this. So fast forward a few years, we get here. And for the first time in years, my wife decides, I want to go back and I want to teach. To the point that we have, listen, we're by no means rich, but we have more money than we need. And rather than sit and go, okay, how could we be the best stewards of this money? Instead, I take that money and I start spending. And I buy my dream truck. Which some of you are like, bro, you drive a Toyota Tacoma. That's my dream truck. Put the bigger tires on, leveling kit, make it look really good. I buy a golf cart for the wife and kids. I buy all kinds of things for the house that we buy. Smart thermostat that I can control from my phone. Smart speakers, home theater system, go on trips. Man, this is amazing. And as finally, when the dust begins to settle, I say to Pastor Mike, this is it? Yeah, it was nice, but doesn't satisfy. How many of us are truly willing to give up everything? Listen, there's nothing wrong with buying nice things. There's nothing wrong with going on trips. But when you begin to convince yourself that if you can have these things, then you will truly be happy, you're grossly mistaken. Because the phones always wear out. The truck will rust. 
the cars will begin to need repairing. The girlfriend or boyfriend that you think is so amazing will start to get on your nerves. And you'll begin to discover that the only thing that truly satisfies is Christ. And this is the reason why Mary does what she does. Mary demonstrates that no earthly possession can compare to being in the presence of the Savior. But notice next, not only does she demonstrate that, she also demonstrates that she doesn't care what anyone thinks. I mean, look at this text. As she pours all of this over Jesus' head in verse 4, it says, some of those present were saying indignantly. That means they are ticked. <laughs> they are super angry. They say, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for a year's worth of wages. The money could have been given to the poor, and they rebuke her harshly. Like, they just straight up call her out. And she doesn't care. <laughs> she doesn't care what anyone thinks. How many of us are willing to take a stand for Christ in front of our friends when the thing that we have to take a stand for is by no means popular, but it is what is good and holy before a living God? How many of us are willing to do that? How many of you are willing to take a stand how many of you are willing to forsake all of the things that you have in order to follow Jesus fully? Like, he doesn't just want a part of you. He wants everything. And the people call her out, and they convince themselves here. And what we discover is ultimately from John 12, it's Judas that does this. A disciple of Jesus who says, you could have given this money to the poor. You have wasted it. Why is he saying this? Because Judas is convinced that a bunch of outward spiritual actions will make you right before God. That's not the reason why Mary does it. It's not just because she's trying to look holy. How many of us constantly, I, I see it all the time, the person gets their Bible set up just right, they have their coffee sitting there, it's overlooking a window that shows the sunrise and says, just spent time with Jesus, hashtag blessed. And then they shut it and they don't even look at the scripture because they're wanting to show that they're holy when in all reality they're not. This is what Judas wants. There are people who would say the essence of Christianity is just giving money to the poor, is speaking up for the unborn, is speaking out for those who have experienced racism. And this is essential to the gospel. When all those things are well and good, they are not the gospel in and of itself. Why does Mary give up everything for Jesus? Because she understood that Jesus had given up everything for her. This is why Jesus is just completely enamored by the fact that she's done this. Look what he does. He says in verse 6, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing. The poor you'll always have with you. You can help them anytime you want, but you're not gonna always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. What the chief priest didn't understand is that the ultimate Passover land was sitting right here. And he gives up everything so that she could have life. Mary understands this. I mean, think about this. The Son of God, second person of the Trinity, sitting in heaven, 
worshiped by the angels, worshiped by the Old Testament saints. All things are sustained simply by the power of his word. Through him, everything is made. And Jesus, knowing where he's at, knowing the environment he's in, gets up off his throne, comes to the earth, born in a cattle trough, born as a son of a carpenter, and lives a perfect life only to be willingly brought forth to a cross where he'll take the sins, not of himself, but the sins of all of us upon his own life so that we might be made right with God. This is why there's 10,000 reasons to sing. This is why Mary does what she does. This is why we forsake everything because Christ emptied himself for you. And just as she poured this bottle of perfume all over Jesus, Jesus was preparing for the moment where the very wrath and anger of God that was supposed to be poured on us is instead poured out on him. He does it because he loves us. Notice the last thing, and then we'll be done. Not only do we see the sacrificial act of love, but with verses 10 through 11, we also find a shocking betrayal. You see, Jesus has just reprimanded Judas in front of all of these people. Jesus has totally punked Jesus, or Judas by calling him out and saying, leave her alone. She's done nothing wrong. She embarrasses Judas. And notice what it says in verse 10. Then Judas, one of the 12, went to the chief priest to betray him. You're going to sell me out? You're going to embarrass me? I'm going to sell you out. And what does he do with verse 11? He goes to the chief priest. And now they're trying to conspire as we go back into the present, two days before the Passover, where they're trying to figure out, okay, when are we going to kill him? Judas has offered to betray him. And do you know how much money, according to Matthew 26, Judas gets for betraying Jesus? A month's worth of wages. 30 pieces of silver. Mary pours out a year's worth of wages because she is in awe of being in the presence of the Savior. He sells them out for 30 pieces of silver. This is a guy who walked beside Jesus for three years This is a guy who saw the miracles, who heard the sermons, who gathered the money. This is a guy who was the perfect church member. And yet he is so far from God. Because he's convinced that what can truly make him happy is by selling him out to enjoy the riches of this world only. And do you know what happens to Judas when he does it? He doesn't sail off to some awesome Caribbean island and sit next to a super hot girl with a pina colada in his hand. He goes out to a tree and he kills himself. This is what happens to Judas. He discovers that nothing that this world can offer can even come close to what Jesus could offer and he sold him out. Some of you are here this evening and you're here and you sing the songs and you come to church and you play the part well, but you and I both know that you are so far from God, that you're convinced that your girlfriend or boyfriend brings you most joy. You're convinced that the likes on Instagram or the followers on TikTok or whatever it is, you're convinced that these are the things that will make you happiest. 
And what I would plead with you today is to realize all of that stuff can be gone in an instant. What good is it, Jesus says, if a man gains the whole world yet loses his soul? What are you living for? What would you be willing to do? Listen to me. When you take a stand for Christ, so be it if your friends mock you. Because you have Christ, just as he does to Mary here, saying, leave them alone. This is why Paul would say in Romans 8, if God's for us, who can be against us? Who can separate us from the love of God? Don't worry about falling into the peer pressure. Don't give in. Don't give in to the idea that just being with this girl or this guy is the essence of living. It's not. Christ is the supreme way of living. And the reason why she does this and the reason why we do it is not so that we'll try to make ourselves approved by God. It's because God has approved us through the death and resurrection of Christ. We sell everything to follow Jesus, not because we're trying to keep salvation, but because we love him, because we truly trust him. Do you trust him? Are you willing to forsake all the things of this world to follow Jesus? And and however that may look like in your life, are you ready? What would you do for $50,000? Better yet, what would you do for Christ? May this be a church, may this be a youth group that stands for truth and never compromises and loves being in the presence of the Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, I thank you for the opportunity to share with these young people. God, I can't help but sympathize with them and all the struggles that they have. I remember those struggles. I remember the pressures. I remember the longing and the desire to be liked. And Father, it's my prayer that they would see that if they have your approval by trusting in the completed work of Jesus Christ, that's all they need. Father, girlfriends and boyfriends will disappoint. Parents will disappoint. Jobs will disappoint. Schools will disappoint. Social media platforms will dissolve. But Father, you will always remain. God, may this young group of kids, Father, know this truth and know it way sooner than I did. Father, it's my prayer this evening that if anyone here doesn't know Jesus as Lord, that they would submit themselves to the Son who gave his life for them. Father, I pray that you will go with them as they leave this place and that they would be a representation of Jesus to the people around them that they would bring forth change, Father, and they would do it not because they're trying to earn it, but because, Father, Jesus loves them and gave his life for them. We love you, Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.